Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be in Colossians chapter number three. You know, one of the things about uh, teaching through the Word of God line by line, verse upon verse, uh, it does a couple things. Number one, it keeps, um, keeps us from focusing on what I call hobby horses. These are things that we like to teach about or talk about, um, and instead of talking about the whole counsel of the Word of God. But also, it puts me in a very, very difficult position um, because I... As I'm studying, going through Scripture, um, I am being convicted of things, and then I have to talk about them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of the things that we're going to talk about today is love. And, you know, you might be thinking, well, come on, Mike, everybody, all right, we know about love. But uh, as I was studying through this, working through this, um, I was getting very convicted, um, because God was dealing with my own heart about how I love others. And, uh, you know, one thing that we need to remember is that um, even the elders are sheep. And as sheep, we as well wander. And as sheep, we still have to be called back to our great shepherd, which is Christ. And uh, so the things that uh, we're going to talk about here this morning, these are things that I'm having to work through in my own life as well. So even though I'm giving you these things out of Scripture and I'm talking to you about them, I don't have this nailed down, okay? It's not like this is, uh, this is something that I got all figured out. Um, I'm striving towards Christ-like maturity as well as you should be striving towards Christ-like maturity, to be mature in Jesus Christ. And if we're going to grow together as a church, as a church family, we all need to recognize that all of us are um, deficient in the uh, area of loving others well. And I think it'll be apparent as we work our way through uh, these things that we're going to be talking about. If you can kind of remember, just kind of pull this together, just kind of make sure we're keeping things in context there. Uh, Paul has been dealing with these false teachers in the church at Colossae, and one of the things that they were emphasizing was rules, right? This self-abasement of asceticism, uh, where they thought, hey, if I just practice these rules, that's going to make me uh, okay with God, and that's going to show everybody how super spiritual I really am, right? Paul actually had a word for them. He called them super apostles, which was kind of funny. <clears throat> but, um, you know, he's working through this, and really what was going on is these false teachers that were there in the church, they were emphasizing this stuff, and what it was causing was division within the body of Christ, uh, where they were not showing Christ-like love towards one another. And Paul then begins telling them, hey, look, uh, you need to remember, you know, it's not about the rules, the regulations. It's about who we are in Jesus, uh, that we have died to the old self. Uh, we've put on the new self. And the result of that is a lot of those things that we covered 
last week where we're being forbearing with one another. We're forgiving one another. We're extending, uh, you know, mercy and kindness and compassion towards one of those. Those are marks of a life that has been changed by the gospel. And uh, then we come down here uh, to verse number 14, which we're going to be looking at. And uh, let's read it together here. Uh, so Colossians 3, verse number 14. And Paul basically says, says here, And above all these, all of what? All the things that he just mentioned in uh, verses 12 and 13. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And you know, I think one of the most difficult subjects to preach about is love. Why? Well, because chances are you've probably heard a lot of stuff about it. And instead of putting your mind into neutral or kind of tuning out, okay, as just kind of, well, it's going to be another one of those love messages, no. Um, if you get this, if you understand what Paul is saying, I think it could radically transform how you relate to other people and how we relate to one another within the body of Christ. And so we need to make sure that we understand what uh, Paul is saying about love. You know, love is a, an important subject to the Christian. In fact, when Jesus uh, was asked what the most important commandment was, he responded with this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We really do love ourselves, don't we? And we are called to love others as we do ourselves. In fact, in Romans 12, 9, and 10, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, love must be sincere, without hypocrisy, basically. Must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. Listen to what John says in 1 John 4, 20 through 21. If anyone says, I love God, yet, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. That word hates means to strongly dislike somebody. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. In other words, John tells us that the true measure of whether we love God or don't love God is shown not in what we say, but in how well we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So let me ask you a question. This is a question I had to wrestle with my own self. Do you love your fellow Christians in this church? Now you might say, well, Mike, that's, that's a ridiculous question. Of course we do. Do you love your fellow Christians the same way that you love broccoli? <laughs> you tolerate it. It's okay. But don't really make me eat it. Do you love the fellow Christians in this church body? Do you love one another? Is there any hard feelings or difficulties in your relationships with one another? Are you on speaking terms with each other? Do you love one another? 
You see, the practical implication of putting on the new man that we're called to be putting on is that we work out our relational problems in the body of Christ. How can you say that you love God, but yet you're at odds with one another? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. You're not really showing that you really do love God. And I don't care how much you praise God. I don't care how much you can pray and sing and shout and recite Bible verses. If you are not showing love towards one another, you're not really loving God. I think John makes that very clear. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Love is essential if we desire to be mature in the body of Christ. So let's take note of a couple things here. Number one, love is the supreme virtue of Christ-likeness. Look what Paul says here. And above all, all of them, all of those virtues that he listed about showing compassion and mercy and long-suffering and kindness, about being forbearing, about forgiving others. He says, above all of those, put on love. Love is what Paul says here is above all. It is the priority of the Christ-like characteristics in those previous verses that he listed. If love is something that we need to be putting on and is the supreme virtue of Christ-like maturity then we probably need to understand what love really is. Sad to say, our culture uses the word love uh, in a very uh, obscure way to mean all kinds of things. Uh, you know, and I think that because of that, Christians can sometimes be misled on what love is because our world uses the word love to say things like, uh, meaning, you know, feelings and, uh, you know, I love you, and, you know, it can involve any type of romantic type things. And so we sometimes think that love has to be a feeling. Well, let me give you a few of the definitions of love that Paul uh, was not talking about here, okay? Uh, The word love used here is not the word eros, which we get the word erotic from, Um, It it describes sensual love, what you feel when you fall in love. You know, I call that Twitter-pated, right? Um, This is a passionate attraction to another person. That kind of love is not even mentioned in the Word of God, actually. Uh, but I think it's a word that's used very common in our vernacular and even our, what our world describes as what love is. Uh, the word here is not the word phileo, which means attraction or, or it means affection, friendship, a feeling of warmth towards someone else. Phileo is a uh, two-way kind of love. That's where we get the word Philadelphia. What's Philadelphia known as? Boy, I heard all kinds of... I heard Steelers, Eagles, and then I heard what else? The brotherly love, okay. So, Philadelphia, brotherly love, phileo, right? Um, Basically, you love me, and I'll love you back. 
I love you because there are certain things about you that are good about you. And you love me because there are certain things that are good about me. A two-way love. This is not what is mentioned here either. The word Paul uses here is agape love. In the New Testament, the word agape took on a very special meaning. It was used by the New Testament writers to designate a volitional type of love, voluntary type love, as opposed to a purely emotional love. It was a self-sacrificial love, a love naturally expressed by divinity, but not so easily by humanity. That's why I believe that only Christians, those that know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, can actually display agape love because it is a quality, a characteristic of Christ himself. And if you have the new nature of Jesus living in you, the Holy Spirit of God living in you, then you can display Christ-like agape love towards others. Agape love is a one-way love. In other words, you love me even if I don't love you back. You love me even though there is nothing good about me. It's a supernatural kind of love. The kind of love that God has shown to the world as he put on display through his son Jesus. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even though the world didn't love God, God loved the world and sent his son. Even though you didn't ask for it, Jesus loved you and died for your sins on the cross. God loves us even though there isn't anything good about us. Agape love is a response to someone who is unworthy of love. This concept of love was derived from the cross. God loved the world and gave his son for it. That was a response to unworthy people. To those that were his enemies. To those that did not deserve forgiveness, grace, or his mercy. That is agape. It is a love that proceeds from the nature of the lover rather than the worth of the person who is loved. It is a love that gives, a love that seeks the best of the object loved. Agape is a commitment of the will to cherish and uphold another person. It is the only word ever used described and to describe God's love. It is a decision that you make and a commitment that you have launched upon to treat another person with concern, with a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. That is what love is. That is what the kind of love is that Paul is talking about here. Above all, put on this love. Turn with me over to uh, 1 Corinthians 13. This is known as the great love chapter, right? Uh, Many times we hear this chapter at weddings. And I need to show you something that is very important that perhaps you never saw before, just how important it is that we love one another. 
Look at the, uh, what Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. And Paul is going to show us how important it is that we do love one another. So 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, your translation may read charity, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And so Paul in this chapter is not writing to the Corinthians here about marriage, but about their relationship with each other. He says this is how important it is that you, as the body of believers in Christ, show love towards one another. Now did you catch what he said in verse number 2? This is so important. Look what he says again. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, what does he say that he is? Nothing. Not nobody, but nothing. Paul writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he is Nothing. So what does that tell us about us? If we do not have love towards one another, what are we? Nothing. That's how important it is. From this text, we could draw this equation that life minus love equals zero. That's it. The loveless person produces nothing, is nothing, and gains nothing is what Paul says. That's how important love is in your life and in my life. Do you think that maybe that is overstating it a little bit? No. Is love really that important? Yes, it certainly is. You see, all of these experiences, all these abilities are empty, Paul writes, without love being present. Mark it down. True faith, true faith has a practical expression of that. And it comes across in love towards one another. One of the authors I recommend you read is, uh, is Jerry Bridges. He's written several books about growing in Christ-likeness and maturity. In fact, uh, Stephen Ellis and I, we're going to be going through one of his books here uh, pretty soon. But uh, in one of his other books, titled The Pursuit of Godliness, he points out that love is the foundation of all the other virtues. And he shows this by taking the familiar words out of 1 Corinthians 13 and writing them as positive statements as, as uh, he, he uses them. And, and listen to how he, how he words these, because I think it's, it's real important. And as I'm reading this, ask yourself, is does this describe how I feel towards others? Okay, These are from his book. I am patient with you 
because I love you and want to forgive you. I am kind to you because I love you and I want to help you. I do not envy your possessions or your gifts because I love you and want what you have the best. And I want you to have the best. I do not boast about my attainments because I love you and want to hear about yours. I am not proud because I love you and want to esteem you before myself. I am not rude because I love you and care about your feelings. I am not self-seeking because I love you and want to meet your needs. I am not easily angered by you because I love you and want to overlook your offenses. I do not keep a record of wrongs because I love you and love covers a multitude of sins. I think it's easily established that love is supposed to be the predominant characteristic of Christians. Unfortunately, in practice, love is absent. Why? Why is that? I think it's because we don't take Jesus' words seriously. We are not obedient to his command. That leads me to the second thing here. The command to love is not optional. Look again at verse number 13. Look what Paul writes. He says, uh, and above all these... Put on love. He commands it. Put on love. Did you know that there are at least 55 direct commands in the New Testament alone telling us to love one another? Plus, on top of those, there are many other exhortations to practice loving qualities like compassion, kindness, and patience. And so we can't look at them all, but I want to read just a few of these so you can see how strong of an emphasis is placed upon the Word of God about how we are supposed to love one another. Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies. Matthew 22, 39, after stating that the greatest commandment is to love God with your entire being, Jesus added this, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 15, 12, and also verse 17, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. This I command you that you love one another. Romans 13, 8, and also verse number 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 through 14, uh, 1. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And then he says, pursue love, or in other words, Make love your aim. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all you do be done in love. Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Galatians 5, 13 through 14, through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, Therefore be imitators of God and beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Philippians 1, 9, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you. These are just a few of those references that we are called and commanded to love one another. So you can see that love is not optional. It's not minor. We are called to love and we are called to put on love. Turn with me over to the book of 1 John. 1 John, and I want to show you two references that really drives the command to love home. Love is a, is a major theme throughout the book of 1 John. If you really want to know if you really are a believer in Christ, the book of 1 John really lays it out for you. It gives you the litmus test of whether you do know Christ or not by certain things. Are you doing this? Are you practicing this? If not, you don't know God. Okay? 1 John uh, we're going to give here a, a test of true Christianity. Look with me at uh, 1 John 2, uh, verses 3 through 5. John writes, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly what is perfected the love of God. By this we may know that we are in him. How do we know if we are truly a Christian? If the love of God is being perfected in us. If you are not keeping God's commandments, if you are not living according to what he says, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. And you need to repent and you need to believe the gospel and come to faith in Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John 5, 2. Look what it says here. By this we know that we love the children of God. Who's the children of God? How do we know if we, know the, if we love the children of God? When we love God and obey His commandments. You see the connection there? You cannot authentically and truly Love the children of God unless you know God, you're obeying his commandments, and you love God. It's all connected. So we have to know God. We have to be obeying his commandments. And so it seems that the visible characteristic of love is obedience, and love itself is a desire to obey. The scriptures also make it clear that our love to God is validated by our love for others, as we read in 1 John 4, 20 through 21. And so we cannot truly love God without really loving one another. And so to recognize that there is someone that I do not love is to say to God, I do not love you enough to love that person. How can we say that? But we do that, don't we? So we are called to love others 
and we show our love towards others because we do love God. You see, love is truly preeminent. I hope you see that. Notice in our text, however, Paul says this, to put on love. That tells us something that being loving is not natural because we actually have to put it on. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. This is a spiritual discipline that we are to be developing as we grow in our relationship with Christ. So it's obvious to say that if we are not growing in our love towards one another, then that is an indicator that two things are possible. Number one, you do not have the Spirit of God living in you, meaning you do not know the Lord, you never knew the Lord, and therefore you cannot possess the fruit of the Spirit. Or two, you're not growing in your relationship with God. Those are the only two options. That's it. And so the reality is, if we do know Christ, then we can become more loving. You can become more loving. You say, oh, Mike, you just don't understand how I grew up. Time out. Are you a new creature in Christ Jesus? Yes. You can become more loving. You are supposed to have the spirit of the resurrected Christ living in you. Are you telling me that the power that raised Christ from the dead is not powerful enough to change you and help you become more loving? It doesn't work that way. We can become more loving. It's a spiritual discipline. So how do we know what love is? Well, we get a good picture of love by understanding and meditating on the gospel how God acted towards us and continues to act towards us. Practically speaking, we must compare ourselves, not to others, but to the standard of love that God gives us. In other words, we must ask, am I patient? Am I kind? Without envy in my relationships? Am I seeking to help those, have, uh, those who have a need? Am I desiring the best for those that God has brought into my life? Am I seeking to build others up or only to build up myself through others? You see, love does not demand that everyone be like us. It doesn't demand that people have the same experience, the same taste, the same background. True love embraces people as they are. It means overlooking small irritations. Every one of us has blemishes. Every one of us has blemishes, all of us. There's not a day that goes by that we don't do something stupid, inappropriate, or foolish. There's not a day when we don't say something or do something that we shouldn't have. And if we spend our lives looking for offenses, you know what you're going to find? Offenses. Loving people resolve themselves to seeing the irritations in life as bumps as I grow towards Christ-like maturity. Have you ever met these people? Just always complaining about something, always, oh, everything is just so hard, everything's so difficult in life. That's life. 
Grow through it. Learn how to love others. That's what we're called to do. To love is not optional. It's of utmost necessity. If I claim to know Christ and be growing in him. Here's the last thing. Christ-like love is the foundation of Christian maturity in the body. Look again what he says. We're supposed to be above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, remember the context. What's he talking about? Remember he just told us in verse number 11 that there's no Jew, no Gentile, right? There's no bond. There's no uh, person who's a slave, person who's not a slave, right? We're all together, right, in the body of Christ. Do we desire to be a church that is marked by its love for one another? Do you desire to be loved well and challenged in your Christian life to grow towards more maturity by people speaking the truth in love in your life to edify you and help you become more mature in Jesus Christ? Do you desire to grow in your relationship with God more by loving others? That's exactly what love does in the body of Christ. True love. Not this touchy-feely, oh, I love you. No. True love, as what Scripture teaches us, does that. The greatest need in the church today is not some great demonstration of power. It's not even a more solid theology. Okay, now I'm all for making sure we have a sound biblical theology in the church. Okay? But by the way, love for others never sacrifices, never sacrifices the essentials of the Christian faith to pursue after love. Okay? It's important we understand that. Right? Like, we're just going to accept you because we love you, and even though it's going against biblical standards, okay? No, that's not love. You're leading people towards a cliff. Okay? That's dangerous. Don't do that. But what is needed most today is the practical outworking of our faith, which is seen in our love for each other. This is the only way to energize the body of Christ. This is the only way for the church to become a family. We must put on love and love one another. Notice the text. Notice what Paul says here about love. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. One of the things I do love to do is, is I love to cook. And uh, was it last year or this year? I can't remember. Anyways, I made a, uh, a prime rib roast, okay? I actually had to contact Sean because he had a, a really good recipe about this, all right? But did you know there's some things that you have to do? You can't just take that roast, throw it in the oven, and say, okay, good, all right? Unless you just want something that's just tasteless and horrible and just ready for the trash. No, don't do that, okay? But there's some certain things that you have to add to that roast to make it good. And one of the things that they do on that roast is they put binding around it to keep it together because it's kind of apart, but they bind it together. And then you put the ingredients on there and you add some things on it that's going to saturate into that meat and make it really tasty and juicy. By the way, it's not lunchtime yet, okay? So, but you put it in the oven and it all cooks together. Those juices just flowing out of it. So delicious. So delicious. But Paul says here, 
We need to put on love, which binds everything together. What does that mean? It binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's look at those words specifically, and it'll help us understand what he's talking about. You see that word perfect there? That means mature. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, that you don't have any problems in your life. It means that you're mature. Mature in what? Jesus. You're growing up. You're not acting like a toddler anymore. He hit me. He did this to me. I'm going to go tell on you. Right? That's what toddlers do. Paul says, grow up. Grow up in maturity. Love is what helps us do that. It's the same word that's used in Hebrews 6.1 about moving into maturity. It binds. Okay? Binds there is the same word translated as ligaments in Colossians 2.19. I don't know if you can remember what, what Paul said there, uh, Colossians 2.19, talking about the body. He says, And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. And so Paul's concern here is for the unity of the Greeks and Jews, the barbarians, the Scythians, the slaves, the freemen, all in one body. And so biblical love is the quality that binds us. Biblical love looks past the irritations in everybody's life and says, you know what? I'm called to love you. And I'm going to love you well because it's the same type of love that Christ has shown me. Because Lord knows that I am irritating. Thank you. <laughs> Lord knows, Lord knows that that I am I am hard to work with. But does God give up on me? He doesn't. He pursues after me and he loves me. Ephesians 4, 13 through 16, Paul said it this way, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As one pastor said, love is the glue that holds us together and the oil that keeps us from rubbing each other the wrong way. It unites the body of Christ. It draws people closer to each other than rather it pushes them away. Love understands rather than condemns. Love picks up those who have fallen rather than kicks the one who is down. Love causes us to work together rather than competing against each other. Jesus tells us that we are to love one another as he has loved us. Then he tells us that because of that, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. And so we are all called to love one another. Let me add one thing here about this love. This is a, a process of maturity and sanctification 
within the church body itself. Meaning not only is, are you growing in your sanctification to learning how to love, but when we all begin to love one another as what Scripture tells us to do, it produces a sanctification process within the church body. And we're all growing together in all of that. Jerome, who was a theologian who um, lived in the 4th century, tells a story about the Apostle John, the actual Apostle John. This was a story that was passed down. And so this guy who was living, uh, you know, the 400 uh, A.D., he tells this story about the Apostle John, and he says this, John was old and frail, unable to walk, so his disciples would carry him into the gathering of believers on the Lord's day. Every week, these, uh, these were his words to the congregation. Little children, love one another. This went on week after week until at last, more than a little weary of these repeated words, his disciples asked him, Master, why do you always say this? And here was John's reply. Because it is the Lord's command, and if this only is done... It is enough. Are we doing this? Have you asked yourself the question lately, am I growing in love? Am I I more compassionate towards others today than I was last week? Am I growing in love? Is this process of growing in Christ-like love a reality in my life? And if not, why? And if we're not growing in love, then we need to do some business in our hearts before the Lord. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.